Let me pray for us. Father, I thank You uh, again for allowing us to meet this morning. I thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, who has uh, opened the door uh, to, uh, to You and to Your kingdom. And I thank You, Lord, that through Jesus we can grow uh, and be what You have called us to be, uh, to be Your image bearers in this world and also to live in, in the light of Your love. And I pray that You would help us uh, to, uh, to know that better today through this study, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we are quickly uh, speeding toward the end of our study, Grace-Based Spiritual Formation. We're making a, a shift uh, in some ways today than, uh, from away from what we've been talking about, but in some, that's not even the right way to put it because we're not going to leave what we've been talking about. We're making a shift today into more of the practical application of how we live out uh, this grace-based spiritual formation. Uh, so to do that, I just want to uh, go over and talk about some of the... Um, uh, just do a review of what we've studied up to this point and then introduce uh, the spiritual disciplines. Um, and so for review... Uh, the, the title there that you have on your sheet, the thing that it says there uh, in A is that we have been doing, uh, are trying to de-emphasize or place, uh, or yeah, there's been a de-emphasis on spiritual practice. A lot of times whenever you approach uh, a, a class about spiritual formation, uh, one of the first things that they do is they jump right into uh, the practical ways that you are formed spiritually. And one of the things that we maintain and that we think that the, the gospel actually teaches us is that who we are in Christ is more important than what we do. Who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ is more important than what we do. Because if you don't get who you are in Christ first and foremost, then then your identity is going to be formed by other things other than Christ. And a lot of times what that looks like is our identity as Christians, if we're not understanding who we are in Christ, then our identity is going to be formed by what we're doing more than who we are. And I've maintained this, and I think this is a biblical uh, idea and a biblical statement that is radically different than the way that, that all, almost all of the world operates. Um, it is that doing or being precedes doing. Who you are precedes what you do. So you will do what you are. The world tends to say things like, you are what you eat. So whatever you eat, that makes you what you are. Christianity says, no, you eat what you are. All right. So practically speaking, as an illustration, the way this works out is... Um, what your heart wants, what your heart desires, that is what you're eating, okay? Um, those cravings and desires that you have, that comes from a heart that is craving those things and desiring those things. And so in order to eat better, what do you have to do? You have to change who you are. Uh, I've seen some, some interesting weight loss, loss developments where there's... There's one called Noom. I don't know if you've seen Noom. There's lots of advertisements about this. But Noom is actually understanding this principle a little bit. They're, they're saying, you know, we need to change who we are prior to uh, figuring out what we need to eat. And so they're, they're understanding these things. But for the most part, the world says, no, 
you are what you do. And Christianity and, and Christians say, no, you do what you are. Um, Jesus makes this principle. He says, look, if the tree is bad, what's the fruit going to be like? It's going to be bad fruit. The fruit springs from the internal nature. And so what has to happen, you have to change the internal nature before you can go into talking about what the, the, um, the fruit is like. There's a, um, uh, a pastor named Paul Tripp. Some of you might be familiar with Paul Tripp. But he gives an illustration of, uh, of what we tend to do with our children um, and, and expecting our children. We want our children to grow in Christ, but the way that we try to approach that is, uh, is by behavior modification. And so he uses the illustration of his, you know, on, behind his house he had an apple tree. Lived, grew up in Pennsylvania, lots of apples in Pennsylvania, apple trees in Pennsylvania. But it was um, an apple tree that produced only bad fruit. And his wife was complaining about the bad fruit, and so he said, I had an idea one day. I got a nail gun, and I went to the grocery store, and I got some good fruit, and I decided I would put good fruit, nail it up to, to the, the bad tree, right? And he says, it's ridiculous to think that, right? That's not giving you good fruit. But that's what we tend to do when we're raising our children. We're, we're only looking for the fruit, but not dealing with the internal reality of what our children are. Okay, uh, So, we have de-emphasized spiritual practice, not because it's not important, but because we want to make sure we understand who we are in Christ. We're not, try, you know, our goal is not do better or try harder. At the very beginning, we said that's like living on the treadmill, you know, just you're on the treadmill of spiritual growth, trying your best, go, do hard, doing more, trying harder. Uh, and that treadmill is exhausting. And that treadmill actually makes you hate growing in Christ. Um, you know, if you have a treadmill in your house, more than likely that treadmill is covered with clothes because that's what it's good for. What does it require to actually get on that treadmill? You have to have a heart that wants to change, okay? Um, and so our goal is not to do better or try harder or to be on the treadmill. Our goal is actually to live out of God's grace to us so that we might live according to the grace that God has shown us. So, so live according to the grace that God has shown us. So our entire focus has been on the grace of God in a variety of ways. How have we done that? How we, we've tried to focus on how God's grace has transformed us in two areas of our life. And I would say that's um, our, the first area is our emotional and spiritual health. Emotional and spiritual health or our internal life. Um, and so we talked about how we can be emotionally healthy uh, and vulnerable. Uh, if, you're, if you're following on the outline, this is under A or 1A, 2A, how great God's grace transforms us in two areas. Emotional and spiritual health, or our internal life. We saw there the need to be, uh, need for honesty and vulnerability in our emotional life. To be honest about who we are and what our needs are. Uh, we also, in there, saw the power of our family origins. We looked at systems theory and the way that our... Uh, our family origins and our origin stories actually uh, have so far um, have, have impacted us in ways that we really fail to see most of the time. 
And so I encouraged you in that to go in and, and deeply dig into your family origins and to uh, your family to see kind of the generational struggles that have been there and the things that have informed your attitudes and your reactions to uh, the things in this world. Um, because all of that is understanding your mess, like individually your mess, allows you to take responsibility and to live a life of repentance. And that's one of the overarching things that we need to recognize and understand that what we're doing is we're ultimately trying to understand our need for constant repentance in our interaction with each other, in our interactions, in our families, to take the responsibility for our own sin, to be humble enough to say, please forgive me. Please forgive me. To, to, to approach life with that humility. Another thing Paul Tripp says is, um, you know, in terms of our relationships, and I heard this in the context of children, but one of the things he says is, your child's greatest problem is your sin. Your child's greatest problem is your sin. And their sin, okay? <laughs> their sin and your sin is their greatest problem. What is the hope? What is the need? The need is to hear the, the grace of God and to live humbly in the midst of that, okay? Um, all right. The second thing, not just your internal life, but your external life and your relationship to others um, humbly noticing the fear and anxiety in your own hearts, but also seeing the fear and anxiety in systems and the different relationships that we're in and how that fear and anxiety is oftentimes driving the train to what we're doing. And we're being led more often by the things that we're fearing than we are by the grace of God. Okay, So the way out of that, the way out of the, the, the constant circle of, of anxiety and fear is to see and understand God's grace to us. And it, gets, it stops the train in its tracks and allows us to, to grow and to lead and to, um, and to interact with each other with the grid of God's grace as a part uh, and not by fear and anxiety. Um, all right, so um, that's 2A. 2B... God's grace allows you to look deeply into your life while also allowing you to see the need for God's grace in every area of your life. And so we tend to think about God's grace only in terms, uh, only in terms of salvation. And we need to recognize that God's grace is for salvation, but God's grace is also for transformation. So day-to-day -day transformation. And so growing more and more into the grace of God as we're being transformed more and more uh, into God's image. But it's also for reformation, okay? Transformation and reformation. Reformation in the areas where we need to be reformed in the image of God. Um, God takes our messes and those things and he actually reforms us into the image of God. So God's, God's grace for salvation, for transformation, and, and for reformation. Um, and then the last couple of weeks, we've looked more at how Jesus applied grace specifically to the legalist and to the antinomian. So we looked at the woman of the well. Uh, David did that for us. We looked at Nicodemus. And hopefully what we saw through that was that both need grace. They don't need more stuff to do. 
All right? Both of them need grace. They don't need more stuff to do. Both the woman at the well and Nicodemus approached Jesus thinking about things physically, and Jesus took them back to something eternal. I mean, internal and eternal. But he took them back, both of them, back to the Spirit of God. To Nicodemus, who was focused on the physical outward working of the law, he says, what you really need is to be reborn of the Spirit. And you can't control that, the, the work of the Spirit. You need a change of nature. You need a change of condition that only the Spirit can give. And then the woman at the well, he did the same thing, where she said, look, we, where are we supposed to worship? Where are we supposed to get it right? Even, even the antinomian is concerned about getting it right. And Jesus says, I, I'm looking for people who worship in spirit and in truth. And, and he's the one that gives that. He's the one that gives the living water, this thing that is in eternal or internal that springs up from the inside and goes to the outside. So both for the legalist and the antinomian, Jesus is pointing them back to their need of grace in himself. Um, and then what's really fascinating about that, I didn't look at this so much with Nicodemus, but David looked at this with the woman at the well. When the woman at the well was shown the grace that she needed you know, from Jesus, what did she do? What was her response? What's that? Right? She immediately responded by saying, come and see this one who told me everything that I needed to know about him. Um, so there was a response. There was something that she did. When, you, when she heard the gospel, when she understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, she immediately went and did something about it. And that's why we need to remember, you know, we're not just doing this, um, this focus on self and, and being so internally driven that we're not looking out to others and seeing what we can do. But what we're saying is whenever you see Jesus and understand the grace of Jesus, you will automatically desire and want to go do these things, okay? What about um, Nicodemus? How did Nicodemus respond? This one's a little bit tougher because John chapter 3, how did Nicodemus respond to Jesus? Go ahead, Brent. You can say it. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really fascinating that in, that, um, in the way that John records it for us, this, this interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus, um, Nicodemus doesn't immediately seemingly respond to Jesus with this, like, overwhelming, like, urge to go and tell everybody about it, right? But at the end of the, the story, or at least the end of the gospel account, you see that Nicodemus is right there with the disciples, trusting and believing in Jesus. So his response is the same as the woman, woman at the well. It just took a little bit longer for him. All right? And this is something else that I think helps us. Um, we are on different... Uh, we are on... Uh, if we're on the train of God's grace, we're on the same train. Some of us are just toward the front. Some of us are on the back. We're all going to get there. We just might get there at different times, okay? Um, so this is not, 
This is not a formulaic attempt at growth to say, if you do this, then this will happen. Okay. Um, if, you, if you practice these disciplines, as we're going to get into in a little bit, then you will grow. Um, we expect growth is going to happen, but all growth looks different. We're going to use an illustration of trees uh, in a moment and the way that trees grow. And right now, if you go outside, um, actually, who I think it was Hunter Moser posted this on Facebook. Uh, he posted a meme that said, and it was a woman bending over, staring, and she said, um, trying to tell if fall is here or if it's just trees and drought. You know, trees, you know, because, thank you, somebody laughed. Thank you, I appreciate that. It's, it's funny, um, <laughs> but trees grow at different times in different ways. Some trees right now have leaves that are very green. Other trees right now have leaves that are falling off because it's autumn, right? Some trees are evergreen, and they don't lose their leaves, uh, but some trees do. And if you look at those two trees together, the ones that are producing leaves that, you know, the live oak that's out there right now, and you, you compare it to another kind of tree that's losing its leaves right now, you would say, well, the one losing its leaves is dying, but the one who has its leaves is alive, when both of them are alive, but they're growing in different ways, according to the design of God. And we need to understand that we are all growing if we're in Jesus Christ, but we're growing differently. Um, and you need to understand that death, or at least what we would consider the appearance of death in the fall and winter uh, time of year, is necessary for spring growth to come. Okay, And so what you and I might perceive as a death or um, a scarcity... God is actually using those things in our life to make us grow more and more and more, okay? Um, so these are just, again, the big picture things that we're dealing with before we jump into the spiritual disciplines. All right, so we are re-emphasizing uh, gospel growth. Again, this is the tree illustration. Um, I intentionally, even though we're trying not to print in color, I had to print your little tree there on your sheet in color. Um, because um, you need to understand the way that we grow. And the tree is a great illustration of this. Um, Grant can't answer this question. Any of you try to grow flowers, trees, fruit trees, anything like that? Any of you try, try a hand at farming? All right. Um, I have tried that as well. Unsuccessfully for the most part in my, the entirety of my life. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, I determined that I was going to grow flowers. I was going to try my hand at growing all kinds of flowers. Um, and I think it really hit me when I realized that Rosie loved flowers. And I just wanted Rosie to have flowers all around her, everywhere. I wanted her to have flowers. Um, and I only started that because I assumed that growing flowers was going to be easier than growing fruit trees because I had failed miserably at growing fruit trees. So uh, this, yeah, a couple of years ago, I started trying to grow flowers, and I found out that growing flowers was really difficult because I would put the seed in the ground, and I would water it, and I would think, I'm good to go. Now, the wild seeds that I planted did great, but if I wanted to cultivate any other flowers, they wouldn't grow. What did they need? What was I missing? I fundamentally misunderstood 
the need for the soil to be good. You have to have good soil. I mean, and this is, this is kind of Bible 101. This is Jesus telling the parable of the different seeds that, that fall on the different ground, right? There's one seed that falls on the good soil. And that seed is the one that grows and is, and is fed and nourished. Um, if, you're, if you're, you know, trying to plant flowers and grow fruit trees or any kind of trees... The soil has to be good before anything grows. And that's what we've been talking about through this, is understanding the gospel and understanding how the soil needs to nourish the tree uh, or the plant for it to grow. Um, The soil has to be prepared. And this is fundamentally why I am terrible at planting and growing things, because I don't want to do the work of making the soil better. Very thankful for people like Grant who are willing to do the work to make the soil better because I can just go to his farm and get stuff from him. I'm very thankful for that. But you have to have good soil for things to grow. Who produces the soil? Jesus is the one that produces that soil by his grace. Okay, But once the, the, the seed falls on good soil, the seed has to have nourishment. Um, now, over the last year... I have successfully grown in our flower beds three hydrangeas. Hydrangeas. Y'all know what hydrangeas are? Beautiful, beautiful bushes that produce. They're not actually flowers. It's the leaves of the tree or portions of the leaves of the tree that change colors. And you can, um, you can get like a purplish, bluish kind of hue to it. Or you can get a pink hue, hue to them. Um, and whenever I, you know, I bought these, you know, this is the trick. I bought these, these beautiful bushes and I brought them to my home and I put them in the ground and there were these beautiful purplish, bluish, you know, flowers and they looked incredible over the springtime. But then about two months into it, that those purplish, bluish flowers became pink. Like, Why? Why in the world would that happen? I had these beautiful purple bushes, but then they became pink. Any guesses? Why? What? The acidity in the soil that I got it from the, you know, from the store with was different than the acidity in, 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 my, um, in my flower bed. And so I read up on it and I realize in order to get that beautiful blue purplish color that I wanted, I'd have to do a lot of work to change the soil again. I had to nourish it differently. All that to say, you have to be nourished to grow. You need to be nourished to grow. You also need to have, trees have to have uh, sun and water to grow. All right. So the water is the thing that delivers the nourishment the sun is the thing that encourages the uh, photosynthesis and uh, all of the chemical reactions that are happening within the plant. And then, in order for the plant to really grow, for the tree to really grow, it needs pruning. It needs to be pruned. It needs to uh, have the dead parts of it taken off uh, at the appropriate place, in the appropriate time. It needs all of those things to happen for new growth to come out of it. And then also, when things get harsh, it needs to be protected. All right? The tree illustration is a wonderful illustration for how we grow in Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, 
If you start at the spiritual disciplines, where we're about to go to, if you start there with your growth, it's like starting with the fruit. It's like saying, um, I know how I'm going to grow this tree. And you're just like Paul Tripp did, taking that fruit and trying to, to take good fruit, putting it on a bad tree. You need to understand how the growth is going to happen, how the healthy growth is going to take place. And it takes place first and foremost by the soil being uh, appropriate, being good soil, by there being enough nourishment in that soil for the plant to get nourished by the water and the sun and then to be pruned and protected in the midst of that. Um, So, all right. Let's see. I want you to understand that um, as we jump into these things over the next couple of weeks, um, if you try to start at these places, if you try to start with the fruit or start with the spiritual disciplines, then you're going to make a wreck of the things that you're trying to do. You always need to start with the grace of God because good fruit is going to naturally spring from the good tree. The tree, when it's been appropriately nourished, pruned, and protected. And some of that pruning, if you're going to press the illustration, the pruning looks like difficult things. Um, You know, when you prune a tree, you're taking a sharp object and you're actually cutting on that tree. Sometimes we need to be pruned by, by God in order to grow. And that's difficult. That's hard. Okay. So, that's where we are. That's where we're going. How are we nourished? How are we nourished? Where does the nourishment come from? And I want to suggest that there's two answers to this. Any guesses? Okay, the Word of God. Yep. The Word of God is actually part of a a bigger... um, part of a bigger category that we're going to use called the means of grace. The means of grace. Sorry, that looks like an E. That's supposed to be a C. The means of grace. Now, what are the means of grace? Yes. Okay. What would you call that? What, what? Fellowship. That's right. So, the means of grace would be uh, understood as the Word of God. Um, I'll say fellowship. What else? What other means of grace are there? All right. Sacraments. What are the sacraments? How many sacraments are there? What are they? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Good. Um, You can be an elder. All right, good. Uh, (laughs) Baptism and the Lord's Supper. So the Word of God, fellowship, uh, sacraments. What else? Prayer. Prayer, that's right. Why would you say some people? Some people include prayer. I mean, I've just read different things where some say it's not official when it isn't. Yeah. Okay, prayer. All right, there's one other one. That's, uh, yeah. I would include prayer. Yes. One other one. Hmm? No, not worship. Worship is kind of part of all of this, but, um, or all of these things are part of worship, I should say. What's that? Well, that's part of the fellowship. Yep. 
This is, this is the hardest one, and this is the one that no one likes to talk about. But it's one of the most crucial ones, one of the most important. Not confessing sin. Um, not spreading. What? Not fasting. What? Ah! There you go. Mike Johnson back there. Discipline. Church discipline specifically, but discipline uh, as it's understood. Let me say it. Uh, traditionally speaking, um, in, in our, let me say it like this, in our tradition, in our Presbyterian tradition, word, sacrament, discipline um, are the three big ones. Word, sacrament, and discipline are the three big ones. That we are nourished by Jesus Christ when we are under the preaching of the word, you know, the faithful preaching of the word, when we are participating when, participating in the administration of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, we're nourished by those things. And discipline as we are submitting to and under church discipline. Um, and no one likes that word discipline. It's a hard word. We're not as disciplined as we need to be. But essentially, if we're participating in, the, in you know, our un, putting ourselves under the word of God, we are under church discipline, right? If we're involved in the sacraments, we are under church discipline. Um, and then fellowship and prayer are what, what I would consider um, secondary but also vital in terms of our nourishment. We have to have fellowship with other believers and then prayer. Uh, fellowship is another way that church discipline takes place. Whenever we are involved in each other's lives um, and we are willingly, you know, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, says, you know, Paul says right before he gets to that, that part that um, we don't like to read where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. It actually says, submit to each other all right, in the Lord, that in, in your involvement with each other, in your fellowship with each other, we are to be in submission to each other. So when other believers confront us in our sin, we actually listen to them and respond humbly with God's grace, and we repent of our sin, okay? But fellowship also looks like in the midst of, or in the times in our lives when we're being pruned, when God is causing us to grow by cutting off things, whether, you know, and we can call it death in a variety of different ways, um, physical death, emotional death, spiritual death, um, any kind of loss or anything like that. Um, whenever that is happening, we experience this beautiful fellowship of the body of believers where we can help each other and serve others in the midst of that. So that you are being served as you're going through difficult seasons. But then also, when others are going through difficult seasons, you're serving them. Your life in the church isn't about you. It's about others and serving others in the name of Jesus Christ. And then obviously prayer. Um, you know, we don't pray, and, and Nathan has been preaching on prayer for the last couple of weeks. We don't pray for God. We don't need God. God doesn't need to know the things that we need. God doesn't need to know all the things that are going on in our lives. We need to know those things because we don't understand those things. And prayer is a way for us to grow and to be nourished, to become more self-aware of what we need and what the needs of others are. All right. 
And so these are the means uh, that, we, that God uses to grow us, to nourish us. Um, and you can do these things apart from the church, but it is primarily to the church that these things have been given. Okay? Uh, you have uh, at the very uh, top of your page there, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So that's just uh, an example of why we need the preaching of the cross, the preaching from the word of God of the word of God to us in order to grow because it's the wisdom of God. Um, I, and I will, I will absolutely maintain this. It is absolutely foolish for y'all to come here on Sunday mornings to listen to mere men talk to you for like hours, okay? It is absolutely foolish. Y'all should not be here if you're only here to listen to me. You should not come. Don't come. <laughs> but if the Spirit of God is working to teach about Himself through messed up people like me and Nathan and Charles and the elders and, and your leaders, like, then you need to come because this is the wisdom of God, right? It's God's wisdom, how he grows. Um, it's why, why one of the best arguments for the truth of Christianity is the fact that it has not been stopped for 2,000 years in spite of the people that are doing the preaching and teaching because we are so messed up. Only the Spirit of God could make this happen. Right? Okay? Um, we grow as we are participating in the means of grace. Word, sacrament, discipline, fellowship, and prayer. These are the, the primary means that God has used to grow His people. All right? Secondly, there's a second one that is not as popular. Um, one that you would probably never think would actually grow you. But it is... Let me, let me actually, let me read this to you um, from Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, whose walk is in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes." I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. All right. Um, we don't tend to think that the law, um, the law of God is a way for us to grow. But it is. 
The law of God is one of God's means that he has given us to grow in him. Um, Now, we need to understand the right use of the law, that the law of Jesus Christ is the, the, the way that God has told us in his word how we can grow, how we can be nourished. Uh, we tend to think of it as only a list of do's and don'ts when we need to think of it as this is the law that he has given us that we might be truly human. Uh, in order for us to live our lives as we should, we need to be obedient to the law. The only way that you can be obedient to the law is if you have been transformed by Jesus Christ, by his spirit. All right. Um, if you go and read uh, Psalm 119, Psalm 119 is an is uh, a, the longest of the Psalms, and it's essentially um, an exposition on the proper use of the law and what the law will do. I mean, how many of you, if I, don't, ask, don't, don't raise your hand when I ask this question, but how many of you love the law? How many of you love the law? Okay. Well, we should, if we have the appropriate um, understanding of what the law is for and how the law should be used, Um, We absolutely should, like the psalmist say, you know, I I love the law of God. I love to grow in the law of God. And so Psalm 119 is a great exposition of those things. Um, The next one in verse 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Okay. So there it is. When we talk about the law, we're not talking about doing things apart from the means of grace. We're talking about our participation in the means of grace. Um, I need to hurry up here. Um, In terms of uh, the spiritual disciplines, the means of grace, you have there uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, number 88, uh, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption uh, or his ordinances, especially the word, sacrament, and prayer, all of which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. Um, Christ has chosen to use ordinary means to communicate to his people, especially preaching the word, sacraments, and prayer. So this is again from the confession. Um, The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. All right. And then you get there about how they're made effectual, how these things actually are made effectual, and that is through um, the work of the Spirit. Um, All right, I'm going to stop there. What I would like to do next time uh, is I want to talk about our use of the means of grace and our typical understanding of them um, because, and I'm going to give you you a little... um, I need to develop this a little bit more, but I'll give you a little taste of what's coming for next week. We typically think of our participation in the means of grace or in the spiritual disciplines as either personal, what I'm doing, or communal, what we're doing together. But I want to suggest that we need to think of it as covenantal. Um, not to the, not saying we need to make a distinction between the personal and the communal, but understand all of these things together in a covenantal framework. So that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to introduce that to you next week, and we'll jump into the spiritual disciplines and how we can grow in these. All right. Any questions or comments?
Very good. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that we can uh, talk about these things. I pray that it would be helpful and useful for us as we grow in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that as we go into worship, that we would see the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, more and more. And I thank you for allowing us this opportunity to enter into your courts with praise. And I pray that our hearts would be directed toward you. I pray all of these things in Christ's name.